you cannot inherit a relationship with God. Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today, we've got Eric. Hey there. And Aaron. Good morning. And Tracy. Good morning. Good morning. Well, guys, by now, as this posts, we will be, oh, a couple weeks into the new year. And I remember last year, we talked about some goals we had. I still don't like New Year's resolutions. Uh, unless people want to write me an email, they can make that a they can make that a resolution to write me an email at attvpodcast at theadventure.org because I want to I want to hear some emails from you guys. But last year, I remember we talked about some goals we had for the year, and I think a lot of those goals just kind of got put by the wayside for you know COVID and all kinds of other things. Just wondering uh, if we're going to read if we want to revisit those this year if we want to try to um, or maybe maybe something new. Like last year, I said I was going to try to get my master's license, and COVID made that pretty hard to get a test. And so I'm kind of – that's still on my plate, and I'm getting ready to um, kind of take over the business here. So that's what's ahead of me. What about you guys? Well, I have – okay, so I've, I've been working on my master's, and I have all of the book work done now, but – so far, I haven't been able to find an internship because of COVID. Um, even as recently as this week, I followed up on more leads that people had given me and everything is, everything is shut down. And what I'm just the consistent reply is, I'm sorry, because of COVID, you know, fill in the blank with that particular complication. I can't graduate until I have this. <laughs> so. Mm. Um, I did, I did really good in my classes. I even found out that on my last big final, um, I got a hundred percent. So like nice. I, I get the material, I know how to use it. I, I just need a place to use it, to demonstrate that I can use it so I can graduate. So that's kind of like my biggest thing for 2021 is to find and complete an internship so that I can license. And then in the meantime, this last fall, I had some kind of nasty health stuff come up, and it's still still roaring along, and I'm absolutely miserable, and I'm probably probably looking at a couple of major surgeries. Um, the doctor has said the c word, um, mm. but don't won't we won't really know until we actually cut the side of my head open what's going on in there, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's not great. Mm. Well, we so, so I need to get my health stuff cleared up and I need to find an internship. So those are like my two things for the year. Yeah. Well, now, someone who's listening, they might hear that Karen is finishing a master's and Matt is finishing a master's. Curious. Sort you of. Guys the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Sort of. <laughs> master's license is probably a little different than a master's degree. But, you know, I mean, realistically speaking, it takes – I've got just as – probably as a lot of – you know, i got a lot of time. Less book work maybe, but a lot of um, more hands-on, in-the-field learning. So for those who you've forgotten, Matt is going for a master's electri electrician. Mm -hmm. 
and that is I have actually seen some of the stuff that they have to do. It is, it is, um, it is not a small thing. It is, it is, uh, it is a fairly hefty thing to do. Uh, and, uh, we have, you know, respect to both of you guys for doing that. Yeah. We got to let know a lot of things to keep, uh, well, killing ourselves while we're working on it and then killing other people. If, uh, <laughs> If things don't go together right at the end, so it's uh, yeah, there's a lot of a uh, lot of safety protocols involved, and you know, keep things from burning down and, and electrocuting people, so, and making everything work right. It's a thing, for sure. What about uh, what about Tracy? You know, I think I'm just I, so much in the in the right now and taking care of people, and as far as whole kind of pandemic thing goes I really haven't contemplated what I what my goals are for the coming year to tell you the truth which is which is kind of sad in a way you know because it's just like we almost feel like I'm or you know we are trapped in just a moment right now but hopefully there's you know some light at the end of the tunnel and you know getting that going well that could be good too though because you know in some ways you're doing what you you're set up to do, you know. Yeah. Which, just which you know, I think that was always my dream. So mm-hmm. you know, you know, I'm coming to you know living my dream job, but you know, I think there's always room for growth and improvement. So that's probably always right up there, just to can kind of continue and and do sure. that. But I really haven't set anything aside at this point. But that's a mm-hmm. something good to ponder. Well, I remember Here. last year you said you had a stack of books you were going to read. Did you read any of them? No. <laughs> no, that was quick. That was quick. No. <laughs> yeah. No, that's all right though. You've got your you got you got things set ahead of you and you know what you're gonna do, so that's cool. That's yeah. that's not bad. That's better than some just coming, you know, having no idea what you're gonna do. You just know you're gonna continue. That's cool. That's yeah. perfectly fine. Yeah. What about you, Eric? Yeah, I don't really have any um I'm gonna quote, I'm going to do this this year end quote kind of uh, goals. I think I'm going to continue focusing on a process. This 2020 has been a real shift in direction for me from commercial photography and video, leaning more into um, real estate, managing some short-term rentals and a couple long-term rentals and figuring out, yeah, I don't really know what I'm going to do with that, but I have, is very interesting. I have developed over this, pandemic times, um, a much better process for learning and, um, and getting things done. And that's been a real interesting thing to me. So my, uh, short-term goals have definitely clarified and I've been challenged with some longer term goals because I, uh, entered into a, a coaching program and he challenged me, my coach challenged me with the, well, what would life look like, you know, if you hit your goals? which I'm not just about to do, but um, I had no idea. I'll be honest with you guys. He's just like, what, what would you do? And I'm like, I can't, honestly had never crossed my mind that I might ever hit my goals. <laughs> I didn't know what would be on the other side of that. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a challenge to look into the future to see what, you know, to make goals because I don't have those in that sense and what that would look like. So I don't know. I'm just going to take it a, a day at a time, kind of like feeling my way through the dark and uh, 
we'll see what hopefully we don't bump into anything too hard. And if mm-hmm. I do, I can get back up. Yeah. Eric, did really- you pick a did you pick a word this year for for twenty twenty one? Uh no, it's a phrase. Oh, okay. The phrase is I do not know. <laughs> right. I was yeah. Right. Um, also, if I can just like, like, okay, so I'm sitting here looking out my window and the entire mountain range is lit up pink and lavender and shades of gray. It's so pretty right now. Mm. Yeah. When I was looking out my window, I'm looking in the exact opposite direction and the sky was coming up, the, the sun was coming up and it was a gorgeous, well, it probably was a gorgeous sunrise. It's blocked by houses, but I mean, I could just see the, all those pinks that you're seeing in the West now I was seeing in oh. the East yeah. It's so beautiful. It's like, you know, everything's like white. You can tell it's covered with snow. So it's, it's definitely not, you know, empty, empty bare mountains. And it's just mm-hmm. like, just lit up pink and gold. All right. Well, you know, as far as new beginnings in a new year, I don't think it's bad to go into a new year, just kind of continuing because there's absolutely no reason that everything has to change on January 1st, 2021. It I does. think we look at it because holidays are done and you're, you, put things off maybe for a couple of months that you start to think about. And, and uh, But, you know, if you have goals, it's not a bad time to look at them. And, hey, if things are working out for you and you're already moving down the road, then that's good, too. I'd say process is, is, is even more important because as we get into today's readings, I think one of the things, one of the themes that we see is a, is a longer haul version of things. And that can either be very, very good or very, very bad. And we have examples of both in here. And imagine if there's a graph, one bar starts really high on the left side, but then it goes down kind of steeply as it progresses to the right. And on the other side, starting on the left side, again, there's one that starts at the very bottom. It's going nowhere. And yet it can, it climbs over time. It climbs and climbs. And somewhere in the middle, they cross and the one that's climbing just continues to climb, and the other one just takes a sharp turn down and crashes and burns. And that, I think, is the um, is an example of, of, of process. If we set ourselves up in a good process, good habits. We've read, uh, we're, we're going to start the book of 1 Samuel today. And as we've gone through um, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, a lot of these things we may be tempted in modern society to look like, oh, all those ceremonies, all those services, all the things that God said to do for worship. Do this, don't do that. Oh, brother, why don't we just do our own thing? Well, we just finished a book, essentially, where in Judges, well, Ruth was a, was a bright spot. But Judges, over and over, just said, well, and everybody did their own thing. And it was terrible. It was just terrible. So as we get into Samuel, I think, and as we get into 2021, Look at processes, things that pay off over the long haul. People want the get rich quick things or, you know, lose weight quick or you name it, put on, put on muscle quickly. And those things, those things are just, they're done over time. Mm-hmm. And as we get into Samuel here, the book of First Samuel, we'll see some really interesting examples of how that plays out. Right. So, so the, yeah. uh, there's a text in Proverbs. Hang on. I've got it underlined. Let me see. I think it's in 14. It says, um, there is a way that seems right to a man, 
because mm-hmm. that's what we keep reading. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and Proverbs says, you know, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it leads to death. So like our human perspective is so skewed from what is actually happening in the big picture. And if we get stuck on it and insist on following it, oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. Book, book after book in the Bible, story after story, it, you know, it says, you know, that no, the, everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And then here was the outcome. And it was awful. So, yeah. So we are we are starting the new book of First Samuel. Now, an interesting note of First and Second Samuel is when they were originally written, they were written as one book and then what later split apart, uh, you know, I suppose, for ease of ease of finding things, ease of study. Because when the Bible was written, these weren't written out in chapters. They weren't written with verses. Uh, we're talking Hebrew. It wasn't even written with punctuation. So uh, it's just it's a little interesting that you once upon a time had this very large book of First and Second Samuel, or larger, I suppose, of First and Second Samuel. And I think we're going to see the same thing. I think Kings, First and Second Kings, was the same way. Chronicles, I think, was the same way. There's so there's a few of those there. But the book starts out with the family of Elkanah. And Elkanah was an Ephraimite who had two wives. He had a, uh, one wife named Hannah, who had no children. And I'm, I'm going to butcher this name, Panina. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's what I came up with in my head. <laughs> it makes me think of an Italian sandwich. Yeah, I was going to say, I always order those when I go out. I love those things. <laughs> well, uh, we start to have a rivalry between Hannah and Panina. Similar to the rivalry that uh, Sarai and Hagar had had, if you remember, Sarah, I'm going to say Sarah because it's easier. (laughs) Sarah was not able to have children. Hagar ended up having children, and it started a rivalry between the two of them. And we have similar situation happening here between Hannah and Penina. Yeah, and I read in in a commentary, and it makes sense, that Hannah was the first wife. And Penina was the wife because Elkanah had no children. And I was like, oh, wait. So you're calling in Abraham. It's like, we've seen this before. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, I always, I've always, I've never understood polygamy, really. I mean, here I understand they're trying to make, they're trying to make a family, they're trying to make their legacy. Legacies come through children in in those situations, especially back then. We don't, we don't quite see the same ideas today as, you know, putting your legacy through or having a legacy through your children. But just the idea, just the idea of having more than one wife is, I don't know how you, I don't know how you do it and have a, have a happy home. I really don't because I mean, I don't think we've seen even one situation in the Bible so far where these guys would have more than one wife and everything was fantastic. What are you saying, Tracy? No, they just didn't have that happiness. There was there was always a source of discontent or, you know, chaos yeah. or something around those lines. So yeah, mm-hmm. right. So the rivalry it it's it gets to the point where Hannah just starts getting into a see, it sounds like a pretty deep depression. Yeah. Says she's weeping and she won't even eat. But if we read too, and I don't know if we've gotten there yet, but th- this was a, a one time occurrence. Right. Year after year. Mm-hmm. I can imagine she was probably already dreading it before she even got there. Right. Yeah, well, Elkanah, he tries to reassure Hannah. He's like, um, basically, aren't I better than better for you than ten sons? You know, that's a that's a 
pretty husbandly thing to say because we all know that we're like the, the the light of our wives' lives, right? At which point she there's a there's a verse missing. I penciled it in in mine, and it says, "And Hannah looked up at him in exasperation and said, "Yes, dear, that's why I'm bawling my eyes out.'" <laughs> yeah, yeah, not very, not very, not very, uh, not intuitive. not the most. Yeah, not very intuitive, and not very not a very comforting way to to help your <laughs> wife help your wife um, uh, uh, deal with. With the <laughs> bullying from your other wife, yeah, like, in baseball they call that a swing and a miss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Let me ease that over and, and just double up the offering that I give to the others. That'll help too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So just eat more. <laughs> so we've got this. So we've got this this rivalry, and Elkanah is trying to trying to do the best that he can, but this is out of his hands. This is something that, um, it's interesting that it says in here, I don't know the verse, where it says, the Lord closed her womb. And so this was a this was a test. We have every indication that Hannah was a very godly woman, and yet she had trials. And we are still, we went through the book of Job a long time ago, but we, I believe it's the devil's theology, are still of the opinion that, well, if you're good, if God loves you, you won't have trials. And this is just another example of that just is not true. You know, and I've heard it said, I have heard it said in church, and I have had it, people, we've dealt with cancer in our family, say, well, if you just had more faith, it's it just, just for our listeners out there from the other side, it doesn't help. Right. Um, that is not a helpful saying, and it is not a true saying. Right. And and so we've got Hannah, who's really, she is just really heartbroken here. She goes to the temple. She is praying. And Eli, the uh, priest, so she, well, actually before they have this, this interaction, she's made a vow. And we've talked about vows earlier, mm-hmm. uh, some rash vows and so on. And so in a way, you know, contrast the vow that she makes to the vow that Jephthah makes. They both involve their children. And they both involve giving their children. We weren't certain where Jephthah's went, but we know where this one goes. Um, she vows to basically to that he would be a Nazarite, and she vows to give him to the Lord. And she's praying silently, and the priest, Eli, comes up and sees her praying silently, and, um, you know, his assumption, this is this says something about the worshipers of the day. Right. If his first assumption was, ugh, you must be drunk in church. Yeah. He probably had encountered this before. And based on the behavior of his own sons, this wasn't a far-fetched concept. The fact that she would be praying to God and pouring out her heart was not a thing he assumed, which is pretty sad. And he he goes out to deliver a, a good religious rebuke. I'm gonna. I know what's in your heart. Oh, I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna set this straight again. Please use your caution with this kind of behavior. He's wrong, and he finds out that she's actually been praying to God. She lays out her heart and says, "Hey, look, this is what's going on." And he's he's basically like, "Oh, whoops, sorry. Um, yeah, go in peace, and may your petition be be granted." Yeah, it said something to me. Something to me too, maybe about the style of worship back in the day. 
I mean, mm-hmm. would people normally come to the temple and pray out loud where everybody could kind of hear their business? Or I get the idea they weren't even they weren't even pouring their hearts out. Like this was such an unusual thing that he's like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, yeah. Maybe everything was just normally gotten... just come and give the lamb and do the wave your arms around and do the thing, and uh, his sons would come and grab whatever they wanted. We'll get to that later. Yeah, and here she is actually pouring out her heart. He he doesn't know what to make of that. Yeah, you know, and then it's. <laughs> It's kind of hard to look at, too, because it says, you know, she was pouring out her heart, and but it was in a silent way. But, you know, her lips were moving. So I was, you know, trying to get a an idea of, okay, so what does that really look like? You know, because a lot of times when people pray silently, they just are in that motion. Nothing, you know, their lips aren't moving. But, you know, sometimes I could think about maybe, you know, when you silent prayer, maybe your lips do move a little bit. But to to me, it seemed like she was, she was. It was really a heartfelt prayer where there could have been some crying and that kind of thing, and and could it have looked like she was drunk? It could have, but I think, like Eric said, I think that you know, just where he was positioned, that was had probably happened before. Well, it says in verse ten, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. So, yeah. She was having a hard time. Having a hard time and apparently having an emotional episode that people weren't really seeing at the temple at the time. Yeah, maybe things had just become so routine that this was just odd. And, yeah, we'll get to Samuel's kids here in a bit. Well. Eli's. Right. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Samuel doesn't have kids yet. He's very he's very young. Which, you know, uh, that happened. this happened to me once at church. I, I had to, my daughter was involved in music and she plays harp. So she was playing harp that day. So I had to haul her and her harp, but then I wasn't involved in music. So I had some time to kill. So I was just waiting in the sanctuary. And a guy that goes to the church walked by and said, hi, Karen. Oh, you're praying. I'm sorry. And I was like, um, I'm, I'm painting my toenails. I. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> well you could pray and paint your toenails at the same time i suppose (laughs) all right well hannah she does she she does conceive she gives birth to samuel which means the name samuel means heard by god and elkanah it's time for him to leave for his yearly sacrifice i'm taking this to be the day of atonement i think is i don't I'm still... It's either that. It's either that. I was thinking about that. And do you remember how, when they when they said, "Okay, well, we're going to worship here, and then people will take their tithes and their offerings to the temple once a year." Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know that that necessarily occurred on a specific day. I think it was just like you sit, and I, wasn't it like up to three years you could save up your tithes and offerings? I mean, there were the, there were these different systems that were set up when you didn't live near the temple. You yeah, could go you could do this. You, you could sell an animal and take the yeah. proceeds to well to the temple. It wasn't Jerusalem yet, but take it to the temple, buy yeah. a buy another animal for the sacrifice, and that could be happening here. I don't know. When it just said yearly yearly sacrifice, I just immediately thought Day of Atonement because that was a a yearly thing, and I I don't know how I don't know how often the sin offerings and all that stuff happens. So. I'm still a little dark in the dark on that. But at any rate, 
he's he's heading out. He's going to go for the sacrifice. But Hannah says, "I want to stay behind. I'm going to wean. I'm going to stay here and wean Samuel." And when he's weaned, Hannah then takes Samuel to Shiloh with a sacrifice. She takes the three bulls, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. So I think these were. If we looked back at those, uh, got back into Leviticus and looked at those those sacrifices, we'd probably understand what that was a little bit more. But she takes takes the sacrifice to Eli, who is the priest, and Hannah tells him that this is the child she had been praying for. So I guess it's probably the very next time that they've seen each other. I think it's that idea, too. And I think one of the things that we're, we're looking at here is that we're thinking, oh, he must have been like two years old at this time. I think culturally he could have been a lot older, six Seven, yeah, you know, because I've I've lived in cultures where where kids weren't. I, I think there's literally wean, and then there's the 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 um, that being speaking of of a kind of an age of um, childhood. <clears throat> I really admire this about Hannah. Like this is so. If I think of a woman who really really wants to have a child, I don't think of a woman who then is like, okay, thank you, God, for giving me this child. Now I'm going to give him back to you, and I will never live with him again. Like, like that's, you're you're giving up motherhood. Like, it wasn't the process of birth and nursing and weaning and teaching him how to walk and where to go to the bathroom. Like, that's not what you were craving, right? That's so, and maybe it's because I don't live in a society that attaches so much of a woman's value to her ability to give her husband children, you know, like we were talking about the building a legacy and stuff. We don't really have that so much now. And maybe that's the difference in it. But like she is so grateful to God for giving her one child that she is willing to turn around and give that one child back to God for his entire life and never live with him again. That's that's amazing to me. And I just I think it's I find it very admirable. Yeah, it's definitely different. Tracy. That's exactly what I was going to say, that if we sit there and we kind of look at it, not once did we see any kind of hesitation mm-hmm. with her and, and not wanting to do it or, you know, really going, trying trying to maybe prolong keeping him or, you know, that whole thing. She, not only does she give him readily, she takes him with gifts and and is ready to, you know, really follow through with her commitment. And I think just along the same lines as Karen is, it's like, that's very commendable. You know, it's, she had no reservations about doing it. She made the, the, the pact with God that if you give me a child, I'll give him right back to you. And, and you see, as we, you know, kind of move on, she's blessed for doing that. Right. Well, chapter two starts with Hannah's prayer. It goes on for 10, 10 verses. I made a few notes here. Uh, but did uh, anything specifically stand out to you in Hannah's prayer? Well, the fact that that Hannah's prayer is echoed by um, we just we had you know this is going to post a few weeks later than we're recording it, but um, there's the Magnificat that Mary, mother of Jesus, says, and if you compare Hannah's prayer to Mary's Magnificat, it is really, 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 really similar. 
it's it speaks both of Mary's knowledge of the Bible, uh, of the scripture of the day. Um, she, in this one, in verse 3, kind of pointedly towards Penina, I would suppose, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. And I'm like, woo. I mean, mm. that's a, that's, she's putting it out there. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's interesting. I, I think it's, before we even get to that, when she says she's giving her son um, that he's going to live before the Lord forever, that Samuel will be there forever. And then later says, as long as he lives, and this idea of forever goes up again and again in here. Anyway, I just thought it was just <coughs> the willingness of a mother to do this and her commitment to God and the impact she made on her son in the limited amount of time, however long that was, that he lived with her was an impression that stayed with him and changed the course of his future, Israel. I mean, I guess this is really hard to overstate the potential impact of a mother on a child. The hand that rocks the cradle. Yeah. See the same thing with Moses. Yeah. Yeah, I want to say a week or two ago, somebody made a note of how, how like some of those judges, they would specifically bring out, start talking about the mother and, and you know, who, yeah. I think, I think it's a way of saying this is the person who had a primary influence on this child early in their life. And, you know, I can talk, I can speak as a dad knowing full well that my kids they were much, much closer to my wife in their infancy and in their younger childhood. And a lot of their character then comes from from being so close to her over the years. And then as they got older, then I was able to corrupt, corrupt them and give them wicked senses of humor. So, so the, um, a lot of what I, a lot of what I was saying earlier about, in different societies, you know, in this society, women getting so much of their sense of worth as a as a woman from their ability to produce children. Like if you if you read Hannah's prayer, like, you know, the, the second full line of it is my mouth boasts over my enemies for I delight in your deliverance. Like this is war to her. Mm-hmm. This is war and this is triumph and victory, even though she's even though this child isn't going to be around her, she's turning him over to live at the temple. Like she, she, she won. Like she extrapolates this whole thing out to the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Like that's how far she takes this. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it all starts with her personal perspective. Like, don't you keep talking proudly or let your mouth speak with arrogance, you know, for the Lord is a God who knows. And then like down in verse uh, five, she says, she who was barren has born seven children. I don't know if that's literal or if that's just like seven's the perfect number. So we just put seven in here. And she who has had many sons pines away. I mean, it reminded me of Rachel and Leah. Mm-hmm. Like Rachel yeah. was the wife who was loved. That's the one Jacob was trying to marry, who he thought yes. he married. But then Leah was able to have children, you know, child after child after child. Well, then Rachel has a child and then Leah stops having children. And oh, my goodness. So now we got to like get our get our servants involved so we can keep having children this way. And it's like it is it is a literally a competition between, in this case, wives who are sisters to to have the most children because that is their worth. 
it's their worth, but not their happiness. Because if you look at it, that second wife, you know, we've seen it a few times. They're not happy. Leah was not happy. No. She had all the children. She had a lot of the male children. She had, you know, the whole, you know, vast majority of all the tribes, but she was not happy. And she knew that stature. And I think that's the only leg that they really have to stand on is is to throw mud at the first wife and say, look, I have all these kids and you have none. But I don't, but if you go back, even in Samuel, um, right there, she was loved. The first wife, she was loved. It doesn't say that about the second wife. Right. I'm glad we don't do things like this anymore. Oh. Speaking yeah. of not doing things like this anymore, let's talk about Eli and uh, his parenting skills. Oh, uh, <laughs> Jeez, Eli. 12. Now, the yeah. sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. But they held good positions in the temple. They did, and it it illustrates all kinds of things, is that you cannot inherit a relationship with God just because of who your parents were. No. And it doesn't mean that just working in proximity to God's temple, his, his truth, whatever, that doesn't convert you. That is, I mean, they were right at the very center and middle of all, you know, the nation's worship. And they did not have a personal relationship with God. So the assumption that, well, you must be close to that. You hold the office. You have the business card with that on there. Must mean that you, no, does not mean heart conversion at all. Yeah. One of my, um, this the whole Star of Bethlehem just happened recently where, what, what was it, Saturn and Jupiter or whatever were in close proximity and mm-hmm. made a big star. And, um, of course I went out and saw it with a friend, but one of my, one of my coworkers did too. So her boyfriend runs a state park. He's the manager of it and they have a telescope out there. So they went to the state park and they looked at the star of Bethlehem and she is a devout atheist, devout atheist, no room in her thoughts whatsoever. So she goes and like goes and looks at the star of Bethlehem and I'm like, that's okay. All right. You realize it's called the Star of Bethlehem, right? And she goes, yes. You know, she's rolling her eyes. So the next day I saw her, I'm like, how's the Star of Bethlehem? She goes, oh, it was really cool, blah, blah, blah. She's showing me the pictures, right? Because the telescope has a thing where you can you can set up your phone to take pictures through the telescope. So like with your little phone, you can get these phenomenal pictures of space. Really cool. cool. Yeah. And um, and so so the next day I'm like, hey, are you? Are you, are you Christian now? And she's like, no, stupid star of Bethlehem. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, proximity doesn't change your mind. Proximity doesn't cause a relationship. You know, it just, so what other people were like, oh my goodness, it's a Christmas miracle. And how cool that it's this time of year. And let's go look at it and think about the birth of the baby Jesus and the star that led. And, she, and she's just like, no, it's plant. It's it's just planets and stars, guys. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but yeah. but it'll it'll give me fodder to teaser for months still. <clears throat> so there you go. Yeah, when we talk about proximity, we have we have two opportunities here in our reading. One is Eli and his sons, and later it's the Ark of God with Philistines. Spoiler alert. You know, I I read this Eli's worthless sons, which is most of chapter two. Mm-hmm. 
And I thought, well, Eli kind of tried. And in reading some other commentary on this and then looking back on it, he didn't. He really didn't. He kind of he kind of did lip service to it. See, and I think that's where I got what I got to because I went and looked at some other stuff and and he knew what was going on. Yep. He tried. He might have mentioned it in passing, but he didn't drop the hammer on him when he should have. No. And, think, and the thing was, publicly, everyone knew that this was <laughs> that they were corrupt, that they were sleeping with with you know the maidens that you know when they shouldn't have been. So it was it was common knowledge. But I think yeah. going back to what we were just saying, I think sometimes this is a bit bitter pill for parents to swallow is that you you can't make that relationship for your children with God. No, but you, you can't no matter, make a relationship. No matter what you do, you know, and this is this is the big kicker is that, you know, the parents might have a great relationship with God and really strive for it to have that in their home and make that the foundation and it's hard. They have to really go back and, and look at it and say that, you know what, you just have to bring them up in the right way and give them that foundation. And hopefully they'll find their way. You don't get a time frame with that. And to me, that's, that's kind of a bitter pill to swallow because I've seen a lot of families that have invested a lot for that foundation. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Right. Not to judge anybody else because we no. don't know anybody else's situation. Right. But in 229, this idea that, well, Eli did the very best he could, it gets chopped off at the knees. Why? This is God speaking to Eli. Um, actually, this is, this is a man uh, who comes to Eli and prophesies to him. And this is interesting because this is before Samuel does this. So Eli keeps getting these warnings. This isn't something he is unaware of. And somebody comes and says basically to Eli, hey, look, weren't you chosen specifically to minister before God? This is a big deal that you were to do this. And this is what the man says to Eli in 29. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offers that I commanded and honor your sons above me? by fattening yourselves with the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel. Then the Lord declares, basically he's saying, look, I told you, and this this goes to, and man, I see a lot of, I see this happen in good church folk. They'll say, well, I read it in the Bible, and there were promised that this thing, it's like, we don't understand or we forget that promises are conditional. Even forever promises are conditional. Because God says here in 30, I promise that your house, and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Basically, he's saying, yeah, I said forever. You didn't do your part. And you had a part to play. And you did not do it. And your forever ends. It is going to come to an end. And so he is challenged straight up. You honored your family. You held your family, your sons up higher than your duty to me. Point blank. And Eli, just skip forward here. I mean, he, Samuel is called and Samuel is given essentially the same warning to give to Eli that um, your sons are going to in your legacy. And here's what's really fascinating. 
where do you see Eli put the hammer down after he, okay, he knows about it? Then he's warned. He knows about it now. And then he gets warned again by Samuel. He knows about it. Where do we see him actually put the hammer down and say, this stops here? We never see it. He doesn't do it. He's given who knows how many years. And he doesn't do this. You know, he had opportunity. His sons had opportunity and they didn't do it. I spent some time thinking about what that meant, though, um, where, where God says, um, why do you honor your sons more than you honor me? And I was trying to think about like, you know, because because Eli is reprimand, reprimanding his sons, like he knows what they're doing wrong. They know it's wrong. He knows it's wrong. He calls them on it. They're adults. You know, they're having an adult conversation about it. Like, so, so, so honor, right? So I've got this parallel Bible with the four versions. So it's two mm-hmm. translations and two paraphrases. And so I, I read all of them just to see if I could get a little bit different perspective on it. Three of the four, both translations and one paraphrase, both use the same terminology about honoring his sons. But the, the one that used a little bit different wording was the message. So, so basically, it comes down to priorities. Why do you treat your sons better than me, turning them loose to get fat on these offerings and ignoring me? So, in essence, this is, it's like, which commandment is it? The first one, you shall have no other gods before me. Yep. That's what it kind of came down to when I kind of thought yep. that through. It was like, as a parent... You know, he was just taking a loose hand and letting them do what they wanted. And in doing that, he was prioritizing them over God. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this is not, let's not forget, he was the top judge. He mm-hmm. did have authority. This wasn't as if he's like, oh, well, what you going right. to do? Right, it, right. And probably no. pulling out punishments on others. Yeah. Yeah. And here's, here's an interesting thing, because... This is where it is. In, in, in another commentary, it mentioned this, and it actually just opened a floodgate of, like, yep, that's true for me. I, I've been doing, just growing a lot in business, you know, reading business books and so on this last year. And one of the, a really interesting concept, they were talking about making a good hire, employees. And they said, Here, here's the hazard of hiring a bad employee and keeping them. And I thought, oh, yeah, because they'll make your business bad. They said, no, it's not that your bad employee will influence your customer so much as it will influence your good employees. If you keep a bad employee, your good employees will leave. And it says in here that, and I don't know, I can't put my finger right on where the, where the verse is, is that the worshipers began to despise the offering of the Lord. Basically, it's like, why would I go to church when I see people in church flagrantly doing things that are not God? I'm not going to go. So who goes? The people who are like, yeah, I got my middle finger up in the air. <laughs> you can't stop me. Mm-hmm. And so you get a church full of those folks, and the people who do see God look at that and say, hmm, yeah, nope, nope, not for me. So this idea of, of Eli winking at this has profound impact beyond just his family. And there has probably been no bigger damage done to Christianity than by people who profess Christianity. 
You know, it's like, donate to me. I need a bigger jet. I need a third jet. I need a, you know, it's, it's, it is, it is people who, who are obviously not living in line with Christian godly values that people will look at and use as an excuse. And it's, is it valid? Is it not? I don't know. I'm not the judge of that. But they'll look at that and say, yeah, if that's what you and your God and all that stuff's about, no, thank you very much. You know, and it, it mentions that, too, that if you look in, oh, is that 216, that when the people did question what they were doing, they said, hey, you know what? Don't question what we're doing in, in fear of, you know what, we're going to basically beat you up. So exactly to your point, Eric, is that, yeah, it was turning the the church going people away because they're like, hey, shouldn't it be done this way? Yeah. So what? I'm doing it this way. So that's how blatant it was. I don't Karen. want the boiled meat. I'm going to take it when it's raw already before it even, you know, hits the pot. That was how blatant it was becoming. And even when the, you know, like I said, when the. The people were questioning it because they knew what the, the rules were. They were threatened. One of the things that stood out to me is how it takes two parts for wrong to happen. There's, I mean, I, I guess for a lot of years I have, of my life, mostly when I was younger, I thought of wrong as being a negative initiative. Like somebody over here takes action and they, they do something wrong and that's wrong and shame on them. And then as I got a little older and came into like my late teens and stuff like that, I started noticing that there was just as much impact to not stop them. Yes. Like if, if, if other people saw that thing happening and they didn't, I remember noticing it like a few times as a kid, but it kind of stood out as an anomaly. By the time I hit high school, I was really starting to think it through. And I, and I thought of it as the same, essentially the same negative thing as the person who's willing to take initiative. Like I'm over here and this is, I know this is wrong and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do it anyway because I want to. And that's, that's one way to do wrong. And I think that another way to do wrong is to be like, yeah, that's wrong. That person is doing wrong or that person did wrong to me or that person did wrong to so-and-so or this situation or this was handled incorrectly and then not saying anything or intervening or, you know what I mean? Just like yeah. passively, passively accepting the wrong that was done. Yes, it is. It is the thing, Luke 12, uh, 47, 48 of those, you know, much is given, much is expected. And both Eli and his sons were put in a position of trust. They were called on it. They, they, in 2, uh, 27, you know, the, the man of God came to Eli and said to him, hey, thus says the Lord. So those people did speak up about him. Now, you can't stop everything that's going wrong, but I think to speak up and say, hey, this is not right, like Tracy mentioned, even the worshipers were like, hey, this is not the right thing to do. Um, so there were people that were that were making an effort here. This idea that God will just kind of like wink at sin, it's like, eh, you know, 
nope. I mean, he over and over says this is not okay. But no, okay. So we've got this story of Samuel, it's the little boy Samuel and the priest in the in the temple, which we think is a cute story. Is that he's? Um, it starts off with, and this is a sad thing. Uh, now Samuel was a young man, Samuel ministering under the Lord. Uh, to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was mm. no frequent vision, which is a sad way to start a chapter. Yeah. And then we get Samuel gets called. He's the Lord calls, and this is the children's first story. You know, it's like Samuel, like, yes, I'm here, Eli. And that and Eli says, I didn't call you. Then happens again. And like, that's a cute story. Mm. What I haven't heard in the children's story, though, is that God gives Samuel this heavy duty. I mean, like crazy heavy duty, like, oh, I'm going to do something that everybody that hears this is going to go, whoa, okay, what's that? And he tells this boy what's going to happen to Eli. What an incredible, but one burden that Samuel gets. Trust that God puts in Samuel. And if just a flat out unmistakable rebuke, I mean rebuke to Eli. Not only the message, but the fact that this message wasn't even given to Eli from God. It was given to a child. Mm-hmm. God says, you know what? I'm done. You you are not doing as you have been asked to. You have been warned. You're going to be warned again. And I'm not even going to tell you about this because you might not even you might not you might just, you know, th- this idea that God says the ears of everyone who hears it, it it's, it's an open, and this is going to get around, right? Maybe there was a thing, well, if I just tell Eli, he's not going to tell anybody. But this is, this is an obvious, we're going to, this is going to happen. The hammer will come down, which is both a rebuke to Eli, to his sons. And also, I couldn't help but read this, uh, maybe... Maybe just a little bit of like, okay, well, God's not dead to people who were who did want to worship correctly. You know, mm-hmm. they'd be like, oh, God's not going to actually just wink at this. Right. You know, I think it was a heavy message, too, for a little kid. Yeah. You know, because I think if you look at it, number one, that was kind of like his parent. Sure. He was turned over to him. So I'm, I'm sure there was love, respect, admiration. And for the rebuke like that of his, let's just call it a mentor, yeah, was was hard. And then if you look, when Eli goes, you know what? I know that God has a rebuke basically for me. So mm-hmm. tell, tell me what it is right now and do not hold anything back. I think he knew what, he, he definitely knew it was coming. But I think, you know, just like what we were saying before, it had to come from... I think it was even worse that, that it had to come from a child, somebody that he was supposed to be mentoring and taking care of. You know, but it goes to the it goes to the you have to do. Oh, you have to do you have, to Karen's point too. I mean, just like you, there's a responsibility to speak up, and I one time, only once, had to speak up and say. To, to someone, an elder, and this was done with a lot of prayer, and it was not done publicly, a very, very, very heavy message. 
And th- this was no small thing that Eli was facing because really, let's face it, the, the, the punishment of his sons, if Eli was going to do the, the whole nine yards, it was a punishment of death. I mean, these guys had just, they had crossed a line. And for Eli to be facing this, he didn't do it. And I one time had to have a conversation with somebody and just say, you know, this behavior, what you're facing, this, this, this wasn't something else. You've got to come clean on this. This is such a big deal. This has eternal consequences for you. And your example of coming clean or not coming clean has impact on other people. Not an easy thing to do. My goodness. But there it is. And um, Eli, Eli knew where it was. I don't think Eli ever turned the corner. His sons didn't turn the corner. Samuel's given this amazing um, this promise, I guess, and it sounds like in Luke two fifty two, where it talks about Jesus and Samuel grew, and the Lord is with him. Oh no, sorry, I got that confused. It's, just, it's a cool quote where it says, "And the Lord is with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground." And earlier there was a uh, there was a quote, and it was in chapter two. I got it mixed up. And the, Samuel continued to grow in both stature and in favor with the Lord, and also with man. And that's a phrase that we see again with Jesus. But that Samuel was growing into this amazing, I don't know, spokesperson for God. Pretty impressive. So when 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 spiritual leaders um, act poorly, as you were saying, Eric, the consequences can be eternal, like such a big deal. There's the the first few verses of Jeremiah 23 speak directly to this. And I just want to read them because if any of our listeners has have ever had an experience where they themselves were sort of driven away from the worship that they wanted to give by a religious leader who was acting out of line or seen someone, one of their children, a friend, whatever, sees seen somebody get pushed out of the church through a religious leader. Like, here's how this goes. So this is the first four verses of Jeremiah 23. And I really like this promise in the face of how ugly human nature can get. Okay. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I have driven them, and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing. Mm -hmm. So I've always really liked that. And it's like, to me, that's just a promise that God sees what's happening and he fixes it. Like he has, he tracks each of those people who have been mistreated by somebody who should not have mistreated them. And he goes after them and he works to win them back and gather them back up and put them under a religious leader who will treat them correctly. Mm -hmm. I see so much of that in the ministry of Jesus himself. Yeah. Showing up and saying, yeah, these guys sit in the seat of Moses, but they're not really speaking for God. Mm -hmm. 
So we get into chapter four. Are we ready for that? Yeah, chapter four. Well, it would seem I, I'm sort of going to read between the lines a little bit here, but it would seem to me that all of this poor leadership on the part of of uh, Eli led to uh, another downfall for Israel to the point where the Philistines are able to they capture the Ark of the Covenant. They <laughs> it's some some interesting decisions that happen here because. Yeah. They're, they're in battle with the Philistines. Israel is in battle with the Philistines. And some of the elders decide to bring the Ark out. It kind of sounded to me almost like a good luck charm. Yep. Talismans. You know, yep. Yes. Yeah, we're going to bring this We're gonna bring this thing out, and that's going to make everything better for us. Yes, yeah, they say that it may come among us and save us. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like they've forgotten, they've forgotten what, the, what the Ark was all about. And it's, not, thinking, it's not a crucifix. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's not a relic. Come on, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so, so Eli's sons Hophni and Phinehas, they come along with the ark to this to this battle site. So they've they've taken the ark from Shiloh. They've brought it to this battle site, and all the Israelites are like, "Yay, the ark is here. We're going to win now." And and uh, it actually, the, the Philistines get a little intimidated by seeing the thing to the point where they say, God has come into the camp. And the Philistines' reactions so many times mm-hmm. through the rest of this story to me, it just has me going, guys, you know what's going on. Why do you keep doing this stuff, you know? But they're, they're like, yeah, God, oh, God has come to the camp. Who will deliver us from these from these mighty gods? And I guess they're talking about the, the Israelites. They're c- c- uh, comparing them to gods. But... Did you did you catch what they said about the Egyptians? Like yeah. this is three hundred and fifty years after the Israelites left Egypt. Yep. Mm-hmm. And 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 the word of mouth, like those stories, are so strong that here's the Philistines going, you know, they are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews. That's a long time of fame. Right. But isn't it amazing that the enemies of God remember that? Uh-huh. God don't. Yeah. But and that's that's why it's also strange to me too. These are people who, like you say, are enemies of God, yet they readily recognize the validity of this God. And so it's just so odd to me that that they see this God or they see the works of this God right in front of them. They interpret exactly what it is. And they they still stick with their with their idolatry. Yeah, you make a good point there, Matt, because both sides in this seem to have a, a, a knowledge of who God is and what he wants. And neither side actually does it. Except one side. Ah, man, and this is a this is a difficult thing. It's a, is presumptuous. We have God on our side. Therefore, man, fill in the blanks. I mean, we can't preach through the headlines here. We could. But there are so many times when I've seen and heard this, well, we're God's people. Just have faith and fill in the blank, do whatever, you know. And this is not, this is a very old process. This is a very old thing that people have done. They Mm -hmm. act presumptuously. They lose, you know. And so basically four, five, and six are the same story. They, they, they're presumptuous. The Israelites are presumptuous. They, they go out and have battle with the Philistines. 
they think that God's they're God's people and they have the ark, therefore they will win. The Philistines are like, well, you know, they've got a God, so we need to fight even harder. So they do. They capture the ark. They take the oh, okay. We skip over this. Is that um, they t- they win? They capture the ark, and this is where it all comes in in chapter four, twelve through twenty two. Is where all of these prophecies that God has said, hey, Eli, you're going to be judged. These things are going to happen. It's going to come down on you. It all happens right here. And it happens literally in one day. The ark gets stolen. Hophni and Phinehas are killed in battle. The word comes back to Israel that this is what happens. Hophni and Phinehas are killed. Eli hears the word. He's like, oh, this is terrible. But then when he hears that the ark has been stolen, this to him is like, it's it. It's all over. It's all terrible. He falls over, falls over backwards, breaks his neck, dies. Um, Phineas's, I believe it's his Phineas's uh, wife. Yes. Is giving birth and she dies in, in childbirth and says the glory has departed from Israel because the ark has been captured. So basically they just, this is, this is the end. This is all over for the Israelites. They think this is terrible. It all comes down, and it's it's kind of like this idea that Hophni and Phineas knew this was coming. Eli knew this was coming. The Israelites had heard this was coming. It didn't change their course of action. They've been warned. And I mean, and and, and I guess the, the meaning that this has is we're tempted, as we often are, is to look at these people of the Old Testament and be like, ah, oh, we'd never be like them. Except that we have these warnings in the New Testament. Just finished reading in Peter. Is like. In the end days, uh, people will scoff about the coming. Like, where is this coming of the Lord? You know, this is never going to happen. And in Revelation, you know, Revelation 18, the judgment will happen. And it will come down in in a day. And in fact, in three places in, in Revelation 18, it says in a single hour. Mm-hmm. Like, how could that possibly happen? Man, I am not going to question how God could do that. I don't know how God can do that. But that he can do that, I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. That he can, and when it happens, he'd be like, "Oh, yeah, there it is. It's going to happen." And so, I just point out that this prophecy took a long time to happen here of 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 Eli to be punished and his sons to be punished, but it happened, and it happened in a very real way, probably not in a way that anybody expected. Yeah. So the Israelites they do get defeated. The ark is taken, and man, what a blow that is to Israel. I mean. The, 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 I mean, the temple is like the center of their the center of their existence, really. You know, all of this uh, uh, culture is wrapped up around the temple ceremonies and and their identity there. And for that ark to be taken, I mean, that was just a it was a bad decision to take the ark out and try to use it as this good luck charm. And where was Eli? Wasn't Eli the high priest? Yeah. Yeah. So he's sitting like, back there at Shiloh. So well, he's, like, what he's can upset? you do? I'm yeah, sure to give the stamp of approval to pull it out of, you know, must have. Kylo, yeah. Must so have. he's upset enough that he takes his chair and sits by the side of the road waiting for news. Like, <laughs> that's how upset he is that they took the Ark into battle, but he let them take the Ark into battle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. To just, my earlier just, point. <laughs> just, right. Well, the Philistines, they take the Ark to Ashdod, and they put it in this temple of Dagon. I had Which to was know. a merman. 
Yeah, he's a merman. Did you look him up? I did. I, I was like, okay, I got to I got to know. I got to know. And I looked it up, and it, yeah, he's like this half man, half fish uh, guy. Um, the bottom being the fish, just for those of you looking for a mental picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was yes, it was good clarification. Yeah, but so they put the ark in the temple, right next to or in front of. I don't know exactly how it said it, but right next to this this, I'm guessing rather large. Well, maybe not too big because they were able to pick it up, but but at any rate, uh, an image of this this merman fertility god, and uh, the next morning they come in and the Dagon idol has fallen over and it's it says it's fallen on its face before the ark, so it's almost like the symbolic thing to the Philistines seeing that their god is bowing down to the god, the real god, the real god of heaven. It'd be hard to miss. Yeah. Yeah. But um, pretty much all they do is pick up. <laughs> it's just so funny to me because, I mean, this, this this is really, I mean, it's like literally their God. We're like, well, okay, let's pick him back up, set him back up. Well, he uh, he had a bad night. <laughs> we, the guys who worship him, we're going to help him out. They set him back up. And the, the next day they come in and the thing has fallen over again. But this time it's heads, head and hands of have busted off the thing. Yeah, but it's not just broken. I read that once, and I'm like, oh, they broke off when it fell. But it doesn't say that. It's like the head and hands were cut off, and they were placed on the threshold of the temple. Like, as you get to the door, here's the head and the hands of your <laughs> god that didn't get there by accident, and your thing's been decapitated, and it's laying down there dead. I would be freaked out. Right. Yeah. 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 Here's, 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 well, you know, it wasn't kind. Of, there was it was kind of not lost on me too. The idea of the head and hands being taken, because you remember how how the seal of God is on your forehead and on your hand, right? Okay. And so I I was seeing a little parallel there too. It's like you guys, you are believing and doing the wrong thing. And look, here's the evidence because I'm putting putting it right here in front of you. Yep. Yeah. So so yeah, that's just kind of a. Kind of a cool little story there, where God is like, "No, you are not. <laughs> you are not going to have your God here with 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 uh, symbol, you know, with my symbols. Absolutely not." <laughs> well, the people, the people, they start getting struck with tumors. So apparently, all over that, all over Ashdod, people start having these tumors, and they decide, you know what? I don't think we want this thing here anymore, and, and they recognize. Like I said, yeah, rats. Yeah, they they recognize that this problem they're having is coming from the God of Israel. Yeah, and it it just keeps making me think of people today, and I think I've probably I'm sure I've mentioned this before. We're like, well, which God should I worship? There's so many. Like, uh, how about the one, the real one? You know, the one who. Even if your God were real, this one is is this is the God, you know, and uh, but the but they they recognize that it's coming from this Israel this God of Israel, but all they decide to do is well we just need to get this thing out of here because it's causing us troubles. Right, right, that's exactly right, and I didn't catch that until I actually read a commentary. It's like notice they give attribution to God, but they don't repent. Yeah, it's not like they said, oh, you know what. Our Dagon worship, our 
God is the God. You know what? The God who created things, we're going to actually worship him. Now, they don't do that. They're just like, um, let's just, let's just, let's just move it off to the side here and just, we, then we can go back about our business. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought it was interesting the way they tested their theory. Like they went to their diviners, right? They went to their local diviners and they were like, you know, tell us what to do. Yeah. And the, the local diviners say, well, make, you know, make five golden tumors to represent the, the Philistine leaders of the, uh, you know, and then make golden rats to, to uh, represent the towns and the people that this has hurt. And then take new mother cows away from their babies and attach them to the cart with the this offering of golden tumors and rats as a guilt offering and the ark, which we're returning, and then turn the cows loose. Like their new babies are penned up over here and turn the cows loose without anyone to guide them. And yes. if they go back towards Israel, then we will know, right? So they're doing their own their own version of a fleece test. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, and and if the cows voluntarily walk away from their babies and on their own take the road to Israel, then we will know that this plague, these curses, came from the Israelite God, and that this will solve our problems. So it was like it was this whole elaborate test that they did. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, and if you've ever worked around cattle, you know that those heifers do not voluntarily move away from their babies. I've I've helped with branding early in the spring a few times. My my our family's friends with some ranchers, and occasionally they'll they'll. It's kind of like a party; everybody gets together, and and you'll separate the calves and the and the heifers. But when you you're able to do that, because you know they're not very smart animals. You can get them separated, but those cows do not like being away from their babies, and they are crying and and they are mooing, and it's just it's a ruckus, you know, deal. And then as we're moving the 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 calves down through the chute to get branded, and as soon as we let them go, those calves run to mama, you know, and and those and those those cows are the whole time are 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 not happy about being separated. So the idea that a cow would walk away from their baby is just pretty, it's pretty unheard of. And, uh, and these are cattle. Th these are milk cows. They're not, they're not trained for pulling carts and stuff. And it says they've never right. been yoked. Right. So th there's so many things here. These cattle, these are not cattle that would normally do this in any circumstance. And when they let them go, they immediately, they immediately head, uh, right in the direction that, that they said. Yep, to Beth Shemesh. To Beth Shemesh, right. And they they follow along enough to see what's happening, and it comes to um, a field of a guy named Joshua. Not the Joshua we read about, I'm sure, before, but um, it's jo Joshua Beth Shemesh. And these guys are happy to see the ark back, and they immediately, they take they take the, the cart and bust it up for firewood, and they offer the two cows for... For, uh, burnt offering. These poor cows, man. What a bad day to be those two cows. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. But now the men of Beth Shemesh apparently made a mistake and decided to look inside the ark. 
Yeah. You've watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, you don't do that. I shouldn't have done that. They should have known better than that. <laughs> you don't look. But, yeah. But, but nothing, uh, it's an interesting thing is that, um, is that although the, the uh, Philistines were, were punished, it was kind of like a whose God is stronger because we've seen this all through the Old Testament. It's kind of like a, a contest of the gods. Mm. God of Israel is saying, no, I am the God. Your gods are not. But we don't see we don't see them being struck dead for handling. I should say, the, the people are punished, but they're not punished in the same way that the Israelites are for mishandling the ark. The, the right. Israelites should know better. They're held to a higher standard. You know, the, the the ark shouldn't be on a cart at all. And yet, we see no indication that the people who who put it on it they were trying to do kind of in their ignorance what they could figure out to do. It's like, well, let's do a new cart. You know, that way it's at least it's a clean one, right? We'll use new cows. We won't use used cows. <laughs> and they, they do what they can, right? To do, to do the, 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 the diviners have said, you know, put the golden, you, you offer the subject of your pain, kind of like the serpent on the cross, right? It's like in, in the desert, it's like, well, this is what caused you pain. This is what you will offer to, to give acknowledgement. Okay, it's, it's a plague of rats. Cool, we'll make rats. Plague of uh, tumors, we'll make tumors. And we'll do what we can. We don't see any indication that they, quote, looked at, or as you say, Matt, looked into the ark. They at least treated it with some respect. Mm -hmm. And the Israelites, who just, oh, man, they just, they're like, oh, I wonder what's in you. This is cool. It's a good luck charm. I wonder what makes this tick. Yeah. And God is like, no, not okay. Right. And they receive punishment. And there are men of Beth Shemesh who, uh, who die as a result of their uh, a lot of them. presumptive behavior. You know, but I think it's, once again, we said at the beginning today, is that it's that higher standard that even the enemies tend to, in their ignorance and in their simplicity, tend to honor God more than his own people yeah you yeah, know because who's talking about is who's talking about egypt and the god of egypt twice the philistines at the beginning yeah. they're like oh don't do this and then when some people are saying well maybe we shouldn't send it back they're like D don't be stupid in chapter six, in six six why would you harden your hearts as the egyptians did as pharaohs did? basically mm -hmm. they're saying like seriously tumors and rats weren't enough like don't mm -hmm. be stupid this get, let's do this thing. And so they at least acknowledge that God had this. The Israelites I think they get they get stuck on the on the the things that don't matter. It's like, okay, so they brought it to us on a cart. Let's bust up the cart and bust up the cart, offer the animals, and then do it again with our own. Well, what's the difference between doing it with theirs or doing it with your own? You know what I mean? It's like they just get lost in trying to position themselves better than their enemies and really they're not they're worse off they should have known better yeah we don't see them repenting we just see them being like yay we got the we got the symbol back right well yeah so like you said the uh, 50 over 50,000 men they end up dying for their sin of of treating this thing so poorly and they send for Kiriath Kirjath Kirjath Jearim to come get the ark. So even they're like, we don't want this here. Let's let's get it back. Let's get it somewhere. Okay, to and the that, number real quick. You say 50,000. Mine's got a note, and it has two different numbers. One says 70, 
50,000 and 70 men. And another says seven. So what's going on with that? What do you, what do you make? Hmm. I don't know. New King James just says 50,070. Okay. So 50,000 and 70. I don't know. Okay. Mine says 70. And as a footnote, the Hebrew of the people, 70 men, comma, 50,000 men, which like, I don't know that. Maybe it's just a translation issue where they don't, Maybe we don't know the exact number. I, I don't so, know. Uh, right. New, King James, New King James has a note that says, or he struck 70 right. men of the people and 50 oxen uh-huh. of a man. I don't know what that means. I don't either. New Living Translation, uh, as in a few Hebrew manuscripts, most Hebrew manuscripts read 70 men, comma, 50,000 men. Perhaps the text should be understood to read, the Lord killed 70 men and 50 oxen. Hmm. They know what that means. Anyway, yeah, strange. Yeah, some, some, uh, just some different translation issues. I mean, these things don't always transfer or translate over word for word, and they have to try to kind of glean a meaning out of something that, that maybe just has a whole significance that our our eyes and ears don't understand at all right like you when you said that uh hannah went back to offer mine has a three-year-old bowl with a footnote or three bowls right i know yeah mm. <laughs> sure anyways yeah, I, it was it was significant they were the point is, is and we, we don't want to get distracted in this the point is is that they should have known better mm-hmm. they did not actually repent they 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 did. They're not treating this. I mean, what we read through Leviticus. I mean, the whole idea of of how the ark was to be handled and dealt with and worked with was it was a big, big deal, yeah. really big deal. Like there were a lot of specifics that were supposed to go along with this, and Israelites at this point basically seemed to be like, yeah, whatever. Well, yep. So, like you said, there's just a. Uh... All these weird parallels that we've been reading. You know, one one path goes up and one path goes down, and the Israelites are in a spot where they're not doing great, and the people around them almost seem to recognize things a little better than they do. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really seem like anybody, at least on a large scale, is really following what God has asked them to do, what He wants them to do. It seems like like religion has become ceremony. And it has become uh, talismans, good luck charms. Um, so far, I mean, it, no, no, no wonder why it, eventually God is just says, you know, all these things you do, I, I hate them. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because none, none of it is, none of it is being done the way He wanted it, wanted them to do it, and it's what they're doing is completely useless. Well, that wraps up. Chapter six. We went a little longer today because we decided earlier in the week uh, to the chapter six made a better ending point than chapter five. And next week we will begin in chapter seven, and I think we'll just do number uh, through ten, even if it makes for a slightly shorter episode, because uh, we're going to get into the anointing of King Saul, the first king of Israel, and we'll start seeing a new era uh, among among the Israelites there, and seeing how things start well and eventually don't go great and it will lead into 
eventually uh, King David and and the, the really the height of the Israel Empire. So we will read chapter seven through ten this week, preparing for the next episode. While you're waiting for that, you can reach out to us with your questions and comments at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Find us on Facebook. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family. And be sure you subscribe so that you can get us in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again. Thanks for listening.